Hey, this is Brandon Emma Richardson, and we are the pastors here at Slate Church based in Waterloo, Ontario, and this is our Sunday podcast. We really hope this message inspires you to lean into all that God has for you. If you would like to get connected with us, follow us on social media or go to slatechurch.com. And hey, it helps us a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Join us for today's message. Thank you, band and choir and everybody else we had up on stage today. Um, So thankful for you. I love that Sam's down in like a makeshift pit here. We had those subs rolling so much. I don't know if anybody watched the speaker just fall off the sub in the middle of the service there. Did anybody watch that? Anybody hear it fall? Um, Yeah, um, if we haven't... Uh, Matt, my name is Brandon, and I'm the lead pastor here alongside Emma, who you just um, saw up on the stage. And we're just so glad that you uh, would join us. If you're here for the first time, uh, we just want to welcome you and, uh, yeah, welcome you to Slate Church. So can we just give, a, you know, just a round of applause for everybody who's here for the first time. I meant to say let's welcome them, those, and then uh, it came out a little bit more awkward than that. So, uh, you know, my friend Corey's here, and he doesn't want to be pointed out at all. But uh, Corey and I have been working out for a long time at the gym together, and he's actually been a part of this church for a while. You tuned in online for a long time. And uh, welcome in person, Corey. Yeah, he looks good. He looks good. Um, Well, Easter's story is one that many of us in the room are familiar with, and for some of us, we're not actually, we're not as familiar with the Easter story. And Um, That's one of the things that I love about Easter Sunday is that it's a mix of a whole bunch of people that come into a space like this. For some of us, this is what we've done every year of our lives, and we do this every week of our lives. And for others of us, this is what we do once a year. And that's, I mean, we want to welcome you. And one of the things that I just want to do this morning is just explore the Easter story um, just a little bit more. And I want to touch on the story that was shared in the video, uh, the neighbor's video that we had, which was just awesome, wasn't it? I mean, it takes a lot of guts to do what Josh and Ashley Weber did, and uh, we just want to say, if you are tuning in online, Webers, because they're away for a, a wedding, um, good work. Good job. Um, I, I still think it's funny that Ashley, at one point during the shooting, said, like, did you choose us because this is really similar to our family? And we're like, no, no, where would you get that from? But no, they're, they're wonderful, and uh, we're so thankful for them and thankful for that video. You know, on Easter Sunday, the thing that we are celebrating is that on the other side of Jesus' death on a cross, we actually, uh, we witness Jesus um, resurrected. And this has been something that has been debated throughout the centuries as to whether or not Jesus actually rose from the dead. And I'm not going to get into the proof of whether or not that actually happened today, although I do find it interesting that 10 of Jesus' 12 followers, one of them betrayed him, and one of them didn't have to go through this, but the other 10, they all went to their death proclaiming they saw a resurrected Jesus. Now, if you're following American politics at all right now, you'll know that nobody can keep secrets to save their life. And really, to give their lives for this secret is nearly impossible. 10 men go to their deaths, brutal deaths, deaths as martyrs, because they said, no, we witness a resurrected Jesus. They said, deny him. And they said, well, we can't deny something we actually saw. And what they saw and what they heard and the events that they recorded for us to read 2,000 years ago are summed up in Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 to 6. And it says this. Um, there's a few women after Jesus had died, and they went to go check out the tomb where they laid Jesus. 
It says this, after the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, which is just like kind of rude, isn't it? <laughs> it's like one gets their last name, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, <laughs> went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, he has risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. He is risen. He is risen indeed. I love that the angel says to the woman, do not be afraid, as if the thing they're most afraid of it is the tomb might be empty. They're just like, no, these like angel creatures are here. Like, this is freaking us out. And they know that, and they're soft with her. You know, the resurrection of Jesus finds itself in a narrative that we also find ourselves in. It's uh, a narrative that many theologians over the years have tried to encapsulate. So it's not just, um, you know, uh, we're not just unable to find ourselves in the place of the human story, but, but over the years, theologians have tried to narrow down the story of like, where do we find ourselves in the story that has been unfolding since the creation of our world or since the, the conception of our world? And they sum it up in, the, in this acronym, CFRC, and it's largely a reformed term, but creation, fall, redemption, consummation. Creation being when God created the world, and we can have a debate about that, how that happened, but let's move on from that just to find ourselves in the narrative. Creation, there was a fall where Adam and Eve chose other than God, something that was was um, made possible because God gave his, his creation free will, making love Possible. And all of a sudden, after the fall and after sin entered into the world, we witness God not become this, um, this harsh and vengeful God that we often picture him to be. We almost picture him to be a little bit like Zeus, just shooting arrows down from heaven and, and lightning down from heaven and trying to like smite his creation. But no, rather, God immediately closed the ones that had turned their back on him and immediately puts into plan a, a plan of salvation, a plan of of redeeming his people. And this is where we find it, creation, fall, redemption, where Jesus comes and he pays a price for everyone's sins that we cannot pay for ourselves so that whoever receives that, whoever accepts that, might actually um, find restoration through Jesus back to the Father. Consummation is this interesting uh, term that for a lot, I don't even really like it as, as a university student. I'm like, I just can't quite get it into my head. But consummation is this idea that while we have already been forgiven of our sins, the world has not yet been uh, redeemed in its fullness. It, that the effects of the reversal of sin is not yet done in its, in its fullness, and Jesus is coming back. And so where we find ourselves as a people, as humans, is somewhere in the story between Jesus' resurrection, which we just read about, and Jesus coming back again. And what the Bible makes evidently clear is that those who choose to call upon the name of Jesus, those who respond to Jesus' own drawing will be saved. It means that they'll spend eternity with God, our Heavenly Father, but it also means that we get his presence in our lives even now. And that's an incredible story. And that's where we pick up the story that was read earlier um, and, and kind of reenacted in modern days by the Webbers. I wanna read it for us today. And maybe for some of us, it'll be a familiar story. For some of us, it might be the first time we've heard it. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus is trying to get across 
what God has made possible in the middle of where we find ourselves as humans right now. And he uses this story, the story of a prodigal son. And in Luke chapter 15, verse 11, uh, Jesus says this. It says, Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he, did, so he divided his property between them. And this is so like younger sons and daughters, isn't it? All of us oldest uh, kids in the room, like this is just exactly what we expect out of our siblings to just like totally ruin the whole thing. Am I right? People are like, are we allowed to laugh at this? I think so. I think it's probably okay. But as an oldest child, I certainly wouldn't do this. And we'll find my place in the story in just a moment. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything there, uh, every, after he had spent everything, there was a, f- a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to the father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion, uh, compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to, said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine who was dead and uh, uh, for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son, this is for all the oldest sons and daughters in the room, was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, You are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is an interesting story because Jesus is trying to communicate something about the heart of the Father to all of those who are listening. There were all these religious people that were um, bugging Jesus. They were harassing Jesus. They were saying many different things to him. And in Jesus, in reply to all this harassment from the religious leaders of the day, he tells them a few different stories, a few different parables about things that were lost that were found. And this is the final story in this, in this block of stories that Jesus began to share about the heart of the Father that goes out to find these lost things, these lost 
souls. And what Jesus is talking about is that, hey, all of us have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God, but Jesus has made a way back to the Father. And he's trying to exemplify through the life of this son that, listen, that there, there, is, there is so much grace and there is so much mercy for those that have wandered away from God. Now, for modern-day hearers of this, um, of this story, like you and I, we often find ourselves, um, finding ourselves a part of the story as one of the two sons. And, and quite honestly, I don't know about you, but often I just find myself as the younger son. Like in so many ways, when I think about God and when I think about my relationship to him, there's this relationship that often involves a lot of fear. There's a relationship that often involves a lot of shame. And for those of us that aren't even sure if there is a God, for a lot of us are going, if there is a God, there's no way that he wants to have a relationship with me. Because if, if everything I've done came before a God, like he would, certainly, he would certainly kill me. I have many friends that I play hockey with. And as uh, you know, I've invited different friends from hockey to come play with me. And uh, literally, I mean, this seems like a cliche at this point, but it must be something that nobody that wants to come to church have all gotten together to just like, be like, this is how we're going to respond when we're invited to church. But I had a couple of hockey friends that um, when I invited them to church, it was like, there's no way that I, I can come to church. I'm like, why? They're like, the roof would fall on my head if I walked into church. And I'm like, I don't like, what do you mean? And they're like, I, like, you don't, like, I can't come to church. I'm a bad person. And in many ways, this is kind of the, the, the rhetoric, and this is the the reputation that the church has sometimes gotten, that we all dress up in our Sunday suits, we come to church, and really it's just for perfect people. And in reality, this couldn't be any further from the truth because the church is actually a gathering of imperfect people that have placed their hope in Jesus that allows us to sit here at all. And so in many ways, if, if this was about you know the roof falling on imperfect people, it would fall on all of us because none of us are perfect. You know, this young son asked his father for his inheritance early. And, um, you know, many of us uh, know this, but asking your father for uh, his inheritance during this time period was um, the same thing as at, basically telling your father you wish, wish he was dead. And as this son asked for this inheritance, the father actually gives it to him. And he says, hey, listen, like, if you need to, if you need to go fi find, figure yourself out, go do it. I'm not trying to hold you under my house, but Go. And what we see this younger son doing is he goes and he squanders the wealth of the father. Now, the interesting thing about this is that all of us find ourselves in this story, don't we? Like all of us have taken the freedom that we've been given and we've done things with it that, that if God were sitting right next to us while we were doing those acts, we'd, be fairly, we'd feel fairly ashamed about how we were spending the freedom that we were given. This young man has everything. He's in a, in a, in a father's home. We, we're led to believe that this father and, and the household has everything needed to sustain the son. And yet the son would rather take the freedom and take it and do anything he wants with it because of his own free will. And what we see um, often throughout society is that this is kind of the, the, the thing that, that we as humans find ourselves in over and over and over again. Lately, there's been this like phrase that I've heard in multiple different um, uh, places and, uh, and it's this idea that, in e the, that easy times create difficulty for us that, that, that begin to, to, to impact us on levels that we, we didn't even realize were possible. The quote goes something like this. It says, hard times create strong men and women. The quote doesn't include women, but we can all, we can all insert that, okay? Strong, or hard times create strong men. Strong men create easy times. Easy times create weak men, and weak men 
create hard times. Now, what is this quote trying to say? I mean, in some ways we could pick it apart and everything else, but in many ways what we look at is this son that had it so easy in the midst of his father's uh, household decides to take his freedom and go do things with it that he shouldn't have done. He could have lived a very peaceful life, but instead he takes it, he squanders wealth on things that would serve himself and serve his needs and serve his will and serve the things that he had going on in his own life. And in many ways, he creates a hard situation for himself. Why? Because things were so easy for him that in his easiness, in the, in the, the, the light of just things being okay, he goes and he, he goes, well, certainly there, and surely there must be more than this. You know, it's funny because in my life, what I found is that often when times are the easiest, I'm most tempted to squander all that God has given me. I'm tempted, I'm tempted to question about whether or not my place in life is actually the, the, where, where I want to live. You know, I, I've shared this before, but even as a pastor, I mean, I live such a, a wonderful life. We have a wonderful church. I love the job that I have, but there are times where, where I'll just sit in my office and I'll go, like, is this all there is to life? Does anybody have any, any moments like that? We're just sitting and things are relatively good, but you're just sitting there and you're just going, is this all there is to life? And there's this temptation for us in that, those situations to go and try to find a new meaning or try to fill a void that can only be filled by God. And we go and we squander some of the things that God has given us. There's an author and a pastor from New York City. His name is John Tyson. And he wrote this in a book recently that, um, stopped me in my tracks when I read it. And he spoke to something that, that I experienced in my life so frequently. And he said this, if we fail to contrast the long arc of eternity, this idea that we are not part of a temporal story, but we are part of an eternal story. If we fail to contrast that long arc of eternity with the urgency of the moment, we lose perspective and feel the need to cram eternal joy into momentary fulfillment. You know, this is something that really stuck it to me because as a person that just loves adventure, um, some of the things I like to spend my time on is going, uh, uh, going backpacking in the forest with my friend Peter. We go out twice a year, um, and uh, we go out to the backcountry, and we just take a backpack with us. And this past year, uh, in the fall, I almost died out in the wilderness. Uh, at least, I don't think I did, but Peter says I almost did. And he was worried for my life, and he didn't tell me about it. But I guess I was really sick, and I decided to still go on the trip anyway. And halfway around this 60-kilometer journey, Peter's like, uh, like, what are we going to do if we got to, like, call in a helicopter? And I'm, like, in a daze, like, what do you mean call in a helicopter? But these are, you know, it, and it was, like, way more dramatic than, than what it actually was. It was. We were totally fine. Uh, we were just taking a couple extra days. But while we're out there, we have a ton of fun. And, and I like to expand on these things in my life. I don't know what your interests are, but for me, I'm constantly trying to wake up and ask myself, like, what, what fun thing can I get up to today? In some ways, I probably got a motorcycle this past year just to hit that adrenaline in me uh, more times throughout the year so that I could just feel something. You know what I mean? Is anybody ridden on the back of a motorcycle, riding a motorcycle? Like, it's just like this adrenaline kick. And I probably shouldn't be doing it, but like it's just, it's just something to fill me. And this quote stood out to me because I think it, it, it speaks to something that not only do I experience in my life, but we all experience in our lives collectively, which is we constantly try to fill our lives with all of these experiences. We try to take eternal joy and we try to cram it into temporal moments. It's why I can't fall asleep at night sometimes. 
Sometimes I'll be going to bed and I'm like, oh, it just doesn't feel like my, my day has been filled enough. It doesn't feel like, like accomplished what, it doesn't, it doesn't feel exciting enough. I'll sometimes stay awake at night because I just don't feel like the day was satisfied. Anybody have that problem where you just wait, you're lying awake and you're like, what is it about this day? And of course, we begin to understand that the way in which our society has developed to this point, it's simply developed around this idea of dopamine hits. Like in many ways, everything we're engaging on from our phones to the way we interact with technology to Netflix to the way that we scroll through new movies and, and all the rest, the way that all of this happened, it's meant to actually fill us with all of these experiences, these jolts of energy, this jolts of chemical reactions in our brain to make us feel something. And unfortunately, in the midst of all of that, many of us still get to the end of our day exhausted and wondering why the day or why our life isn't looking the way we expected it to look. And this is what John Tyson is getting to when he says we lose perspective and we feel the need to cram eternal joy into momentary fulfillment. And you know, there's many of us in the room right now, maybe we feel like the prodigal son where it's just like, man, if, if you only knew my life, if you only knew what I was doing, if you only knew what I did last night, if you only knew what this week looked like, if you only knew the way I talked to my children, if you only knew the thoughts that I had towards my enemies, I know Jesus says to love them, but if you only knew the things that I thought towards them, if you only knew, I mean, we, maybe, maybe we wouldn't be, maybe you wouldn't want to know me, if you only knew. And yet there's a number of us in the room right now that when we read a story like this, we go like, I don't know what it looks like to live that kind of life, to go and squander all that I've been given. And in many ways, Jesus has a secondary caution for, the old, for those of us that identify as the older son. You know, this is an interesting story because the, most of the story is centered around the prodigal son, the one that goes off, wastes everything, and then begins to come home. And then when we hear this interaction, we go, oh my gosh, like this is the story. Like we gotta see people that are far from Jesus come into relationship with him, and that's what it's all about. But Jesus has a message for those of us that have been attending church for a long time that sit, sit smug in our chairs and go, oh, I hope that this message today reaches somebody here that has never heard it before. Because he tells the story of the older son that is just sitting there and going like, why are you doing all this? Why is there all this commotion? Why would we put so much effort into something like Easter week? And why would we, why would we, why would we? I've been here all along. And Jesus is speaking to the religious heart in every one of us that says, I'm good because I've been with the Father for a, quite some time. And what the Father actually shows us is that there's a difference between being with the Father and being in relationship with the Father. There's a difference between spending time around things that look like they're Christian and actually following God with our own hearts and entering in to all that God actually has for us. And the Father says to the older son when he's grumbling and he has this problem with what's going on, he says, my son, the Father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. <laughs> In many ways, what the, older, the, the, the father is saying to the older son is, listen, everything that you see me lavishing upon the son that wandered away and came home is what's available to you at any moment. At any moment, you could have killed a fattened calf and celebrated with your friends because this is your house. And one of the things that I see out of the church today is that we often forget the joy of our own salvation. 
the joy of what it meant to be a prodigal son or daughter returning home and experiencing the love of the Father. And what we do is we start to settle into a lackluster Christian life that is just bland and beige and has no color to it and has no, 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 no excitement to it. And we sit back and sometimes when, when, when somebody who's been far from God comes in a relationship with God and all of a sudden they're bursting with all this energy, we sit back and we go, it'll just be a matter of time before they kind of work all that out. They'll calm down soon. And yet what we see out of the heart of the Father is not a hope that we would calm down or, or mute the celebration, but rather that we would join in on the celebration. Or at the, at the very least, we would throw our own celebration in honor of the fact that we are found in the house of God. And this is what the, 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 the story of the prodigal son is getting at, is that no matter who we are in this room, Jesus, God the Father, wants to meet with us. You know, in many ways, this story has been remembered uh, under the title of the prodigal son. But I think a more fitting title, and, and most people, uh, most theologians would agree that a more fitting title for us to remember this, uh, this story by is not the prodigal son, but the forgiving father. And I have a, a wonderful dad, and he's going to watch this probably this week. And so, dad, I love you just um, as, a, as a statement before I share the story. Um, I have a wonderful father, but if you've ever been caught doing something bad by your dad, you just know how like that relationship is dualistic. It's like the most loving thing in the world, but also like watch yourself, you know, just like be careful. I had the great idea, um, when I was getting into my upper teens, I'll just say that, um, I had kind of like taken stock of my life and I live in a, a good Christian life up until that point and, I didn't really have a whole lot of excitement going on because I didn't break a whole lot of rules. And I was a little bit disappointed. And I had a friend that uh, provided a lot of excitement in my life. His name was Jordan. I'm going to out him right now, Jordan Jeans. Um, he had a lot of excitement in his life, and he just was able to do whatever he wanted. He was the youngest of five, and I was the oldest. And so you see the prodigal narrative just like working itself out in our own story where I was like, you know what? The older son needs to experience what the younger son's been experiencing for quite some time. I need to squander some of my life. And, and so we didn't do anything too crazy, but um, we were uninvited to a movie night that the youth group in our church was ho holding. That didn't sit really well with us. We were really upset. And we thought, well, we're going to show them something. This movie that they were going to was a, at an outdoor movie theater. And so as an out, uh, in the outdoor movie theater, what we did is um, uh, Jordan and I decided, you know, we're going to get back at them. And so we bought ourselves three dozen eggs, and we thought, we'll just go by to the side of the road, we know where they are, and we'll just throw them at them. We'll ruin their movie night, and we'll have a fun night ourselves. And so, you know, Jordan and I go into the local metro, which is the, the um, grocery store that was near us. We go in. We didn't have a whole lot of money at the time, so we bought the cheapest eggs that we could, the smallest eggs that we could. And we wandered over uh, to the movie theater, the outdoor movie theater, and we began to just like rifle eggs over into the outdoor movie theater. Now it sounds bad, but um, we couldn't throw them very far. So they were like, just like landing in the ditch. <laughs> they were small little eggs. They were like, it was, so after throwing about six of these eggs, we thought, well, this is just like, we couldn't get at them. This feels like a waste of time. What are we gonna do now? And my, my uh, delinquent friend, uh, decided, well, we still have eggs. Let's do, let's make use of them. That would, my mom has told me not to waste food. Um, we got to do something. With them. I think I was also part of the problem here. So we decided, you know what, let's go back to your house and let's just throw them at cars. 
And so we go to my friend's house and, you know, we, uh, we uh, run across the road and, and we hide in a bush right by the fire, um, fire station of all places. And uh, we just begin lobbing um, uh, eggs at cars as they begin to drive by. And of course, in a, in a matter of moments, a police officer drives by, puts the spotlight on where we are, and we kind of hide in the bushes and nothing. We think, okay, like, we'll wait till he goes and the cop moves on. And we just keep throwing eggs after he's gone. And we're like, this is awesome. And we had three dozen. There was a lot, right? So we were just like, we were trying our best. And long story short, the cop comes back. And so, and he begins to yell at us. He knows where we are. So we like, forget this. And we run across the field away from him. Well, the cops were taking that moment after finding out where we were to set up another cop on the other side of the field. So when we ran across the field, he turned on a spotlight and we were caught like criminals. And he said, stop in your tracks, which I did because I'm the older son and I'm, I'm perfect. <laughs> My friend proceeds to run from the cops. And he's like, afterwards, he would ask me, he's like, why did you stop? Like, we can outrun these guys. And I'm like, I've never run from the, I've never been stopped by the cops. We get stopped by the cops and we're sitting there and the cops begins to talk to us because my friend came back and realized he needed to be with me. Otherwise, I was going to probably wet my pants. And he comes back and he says to us, he says, listen, I'm going to charge you with a misdemeanor or something. I forget what the charge was. Or I can call your, your parents. And Jordan's like, yo, talk to my parents. And uh, I was like, officer, I'll take whatever charges you want to give me. <laughs> and uh, the cop smiled and he said, that's exactly what I wanted to hear. And uh, he says, could I have your phone number? I'm like, no, 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 I don't think you heard me. I'd rather go to jail. <laughs> I said that. I was like, I'd rather you take me to jail. And he's like, no, 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 that's fine. I gave you two options, but I'm going to choose your option tonight. I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. My father is going to kill me. Just take me to the jail. And he said, that's exactly why I want to call him. Could I have your number? And at this point, I gave him my number, and he calls my dad. It's the middle of the night. My dad comes, and I'll never forget because I get, um, my dad shows up, talks to the cop. I don't know what they said. And the cop says, that, that makes sense. Okay. And he lets us go. No charges are laid, nothing. And, of course, I mean, I think it was all just to scare me. I get into the car, and I go to say, I'm sorry, Dad. And my dad just says to me, don't say a word. I don't want to hear from you. And I will tell you that I've taken many 10-minute drives in my life, but I've not taken many 10-minute drives that lasted four hours. And that's what it felt like in the back of my dad's Corolla on the way home from that moment. You know, when it comes to father figures, many of us are mixed up on what that actually looks like. Even for myself, who had an incredibly good father, I had a distorted view of what it meant to be his son for most of my life. And for many of us, we get exactly what it means to sit in the back of a dad's car when they're disappointed with you because maybe that's all we experience through our entire lives. And when it comes to the story of the prodigal son, the most interesting thing happens, and it's this, that Jesus is trying to communicate to his listeners that it doesn't matter what your life has looked like, if you have wandered away from your heavenly father, all you have to do is return home and he will receive you. I never really got it, and I don't know if, on this side of eternity, it's a good parenting style or not. But my friend's mom came out of the house, and of course, the cops have stopped us right in front of their house. <laughs> and uh, she comes out and she says, officers, what is this all about? And uh, he says, well, your son has been, you know, caught 
Jordan has been caught egging cars, and she said, oh, Jordan, come on inside. And I thought for a brief moment, I want that to be my mom. You know, like, why couldn't that be my situation? And I think for a lot of us, we just, we just, it doesn't compute. Like, that couldn't be the way that God could interact. Just come home. I mean, obviously, there's forgiveness involved. It's not just come home and who cares what you did. But, but in the act of turning home, I think so many of us are afraid of what God might say the moment that we get a heart change and we get out of our religious nature or we get and we, we come to the, our senses, as this story says, in our sinful nature. Most of us don't realize that the Father is just waiting for us to come home. And the miracle of the Easter story is that Jesus didn't just die on a cross, but he rose again three days later, making this transaction possible. Without Jesus, returning home would be an impossible situation. Without Jesus, the prodigal story is not what we know of it today. The prodigal story is one that involves sacrifice on our part. It's one that involves so many actions on our part. It's one that involves things that we are not able to do in our own strength. But on the other side of the Easter story, Jesus has made it incredibly, incredibly easy to return home. Why? Because he paid a price for us that we could not pay for ourselves. And all we have to do to find ourselves in relationship with our Heavenly Father is to say, you know what, I messed up. I accept what Jesus did and return home. Can we stand up in this place? Now, I don't know where, we're going to close in, in just a moment. I'm going to say a prayer here. But I, I don't know where you stand with God in this place. And in many ways, this is between you and God. In, in many ways, as I've experienced in my own life, coming back to the Father takes in a, in a lifetime. I've been walking towards the Father for a long time. And more and more, I begin to realize the love of the Father. And maybe a better way of saying it is I've returned home. And I just don't believe the celebration all the time. Why is it that a good God would forgive me for my sins? And that's exactly what he does. If you're here today and maybe you just, you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, you're just going like, I, I didn't even realize this was the Easter story. And you find yourself like all of us in the midst of, midst of so many different things that are going on in our world today. And you're just going, I just, I'm so confused by it all. I, I don't know what to do with everything that's going on inside of me. But today I want to respond to what God has done for me. He sent his son for us so that we could be brought back in relationship with him. If that's you, I'm just gonna ask that everybody just close their eyes just for a moment of privacy. And again, this isn't a moment to look around. And the reason we get people to close their eyes is just so that if you were brought by somebody else, you don't feel like you've gotta do anything in this moment. But if you're here today and you're just going, hey, you know what? I think it's time that I return home. I think it's time that I accept what Jesus did for me on the cross. I think it's time to come back into the Father's house, so to speak. If you're here today and you've never made that decision, but on this Easter Sunday, you're going, you know what? I need, I need to point the, the compass of my life in a different direction. I need to point it towards God and surrender my life to Jesus. If that's you today and you're just going, hey, I'd like to make a decision to follow him. I just want to know who I'm including in a prayer. I'm not going to point anybody out, but if you're here today and you're just going, I want to make that decision. With every eye closed, can you just raise a hand and say, hey, I'd like to make that decision today. Yeah, thank you. 
I've done enough walking on my own. I just, I want to return to the Father. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Jesus, I just want to thank you for every soul that is represented by a hand raised just a moment ago. Father, we understand that what we could do, we can't do in our own power, you are able to do, and you were able to do through your son's death on the cross. Father, we just pray that as we walk out of this place, those of us that have made this decision, that we would understand that your spirit goes with us. That while the context of our life might not change, that your Holy Spirit walking and walking with us and, and living inside of us, that God, our, our complete perspective on life can. And so, Father, I just pray right now that you would just bless uh, each individual that has raised a hand. And, Father, I pray that you would give them hope and joy and peace where maybe those things were lacking or absent. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Come on, can we celebrate in this place? Hey, we're about to worship. And listen, I... I really think that on Easter Sunday, it's not just a time for people to make decisions to follow. I also think it's a time for those of us that have just found ourselves just stuck in religiosity to actually break away from that. And so if you're here today and you're just going, you know what, I've just been, I've been failing to recognize the joy or live in the joy that God provides. I just wanna pray for us in this room. And so again, if that's you, can you just raise a hand as we begin to pray and just say, I need the joy of my salvation restored. Today, there's something's been shifting in me and I need to, I need to recognize that I need to celebrate with God more. If that's you, just raise your hand as we begin to pray. Father, I thank you for all that you're up to in this place. Father, I thank you for this simple story, but profound truth that if we have been bought by the blood of Christ, if we are, if we have been if we are in this place and we find ourselves as a part of the family of God, that all we have to do is enter into what you have done, that we can celebrate with you all that you have done in our lives. And so God, right now, I just pray for those of us that have been taking you for granted, taking for granted our own salvation. Father, I pray that you would restore to us the joy of our salvation. Restore to us the joy of our salvation, we pray. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, church, let's worship. Thanks again for listening to our Sunday podcast. To hear more messages like these, be sure to share and subscribe. We're thankful for all that God is doing in our church right now. We would love to have you be a part of what is going on. You can connect with us by filling out a connect card online at slatechurch.com. And hey, stay tuned for more content coming soon.